a culture and culture is very much created by the leaders of an organization. It's, it's set by leaders um, and then it's reinforced by other people. But a culture is a combination of what you create and what you allow. Welcome to the Executive Leadership Podcast. On today's podcast episode, we have Renee Bengelsdorf. And Renee is an experienced aviation executive, and we're going to be talking about navigating and overcoming toxic workplace cultures. So to tell you a little bit about who Renee is, uh, Renee is the founder and CEO of the Aviation Collective, which is a collaborative consulting company that equips leaders in aviation with tools to revitalize their organizations. Also, Renee, most recently, Renee was the founder and CEO of Charlie Bravo Aviation, where she remains chair of the board, and they have experience brokering over $1 billion in global aircraft sales. In addition to that, Renee is also a high-performance business coach which, with Michael Hyatt. Renee is deeply involved in the aviation industry and public service. She is also the author of two books, Crushing Mediocrity, 10 Ways to Rise Above the Status Quo, and then also Stand Up, How to Flourish When the Odds Are Stacked Against You. Renee is a frequent keynote speaker at industry conferences, and you are going to enjoy this amazing discussion that we had with Renee on overcoming and navigating toxic workplace cultures. So I really hope you enjoy this podcast episode with Renee. Well, thank you, Renee, for being on the podcast. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Oh, Cameron, thank you so much for inviting me to be here. It's an honor to be able to talk to you and to be able to talk a little bit to some of the people that follow your podcast. They're obviously very smart if they're following you and listening to this podcast. So I'm anxious to to get into this conversation today. Yeah, awesome. Looking forward to it as well. Um, before we start off in, in our, our topic and our discussion, if you can tell our, our listeners a little bit about yourself and who is uh, Renee. Well, thanks for asking. I am an aviation executive. I've been in the aviation business for 21 years now. Um, 19 of those were spent in the aircraft sales market, so private jet sales and acquisitions. Um, first as marketing and then owning and running my own company for a number of those years. I still own part of that company, but I've become really passionate in the last five years about helping other aviation executives really win at work. And part of that came because I was um, asked to become a business coach for a company called Full Focus about five years ago. And part of that came from serving on a board that was appointed by the Secretary of Transportation to create a report to tell Congress and the FAA, and we added in a few industry suggestions as well, why there are so few women in aviation and aerospace and what can be done about it. And what we found really is that it's a workplace culture um, conundrum that's causing so few women to come into aviation, to stay in aviation, and to rise to the tops of the ranks in aviation. And honestly, Cameron, I don't think that it's just a problem about attraction and retention of women. I think it's a 
a problem in attraction and retention of talent overall. And I think we're seeing that in some of the, the talent shortages that we're seeing um, today in aviation. Yeah, that's so true. Our industry has changed so much over the last just three to four years. It's it's amazing to see where this industry is at today. And I mean, even myself, just being in the business aviation industry for the last 12, 13 years, you've seen a lot of change on just the I, overall diversity in the industry. It's it's starting to to shift a little bit. It is. I think some of that is people being purposeful mm-hmm. about it. And I think some of it is that we're doing a great job of, I don't know, attracting people at a younger age, making it an option for them at a younger age. And there've been a number of organizations that have been doing work for a couple of decades to make that shift. But mm-hmm. it makes you realize when you're seeing kind of it's changing, but it's changing slowly, how much change is required in order to create the different landscape that we see today. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on one thing before we go into our um, podcast discussion. Um, you mentioned the term business aviation, and now our listeners must be thinking, what is business aviation? Can you just lay that out a little bit? Absolutely. So everyone knows what defense aviation is, right? Those are the the fighter jets that are protecting our country and other countries around the world. Commercial aviation are the airlines that each one of us goes onto Expedia or onto the airline website and books a, a ticket on. And then there are some other aspects of aviation. There's an awful lot of cargo aviation. We think FedEx, UPS, but there are some smaller ones. Business aviation is just about everything else. So there is surveillance that happens. There is um, private flights, so jet charter flights. Um, A lot of those are used for humanitarian work or for transporting organs um, on a very quick on-demand basis. Um, Business aviation or general aviation, which is the smaller airplanes, are where a lot of commercial aviation pilots got their start learning how to fly. They may have been flying charter for a number of years before they had enough hours to be able to fly um, commercial airliners. So business aviation is kind of the subset of aviation that really helps businesses um, and forms um, like a pretty significant amount by 15 to 20% of the GDP that's contributed from the aviation industry is contributed by business aviation. Awesome. Well, thank you for explaining that to our listeners. Um, so today's topic on, on this, this podcast, we're going to be talking about uh, a toxic workplace culture. You know, what is it all about and what can we do to really uh, turn that around and create it? create a positive work environment, a great culture um, for our organizations. Um, So to start off the discussion, can you define what a toxic workplace culture is? You know, I really want to start somewhere a little bit different than that, Cameron. And I want to tell you what I think a good workplace culture is first, because then we can set a bar for what is not toxic. 
So a strong culture is one where minimal politics and confusion exist. Turnover is low among good employees. Engagement and productivity are high. And the results of the company are consistently good. So you hear a lot of adjectives in there. You hear consistency, you hear engaged, you hear good employees, you hear um, minimal politics, you hear low confusion. And I think just from thinking about those positive things, we can begin to see some of the attributes of a toxic culture. A toxic culture has high turnover. A toxic culture has good employees leaving and maybe the ones who are not productive are not good employees sticking around for long periods of time. You see lots of inner office politics. You see clicks and and have people feel like they don't really belong there or that they're not heard or seen or appreciated for the value that they bring to the table. So I don't necessarily think that a toxic culture has all of those things, but a toxic culture is going to at least have some of those things because those are the indicators that there's some poison under the surface. Um, So what are the common signs and red flags that really indicate that toxic workplace culture? Oh, um, from an employee perspective, I want to address this from two different aspects. So from an employee perspective, um, the employee will feel like they aren't heard or they aren't appreciated. They might um, have a sense that that they don't really know what their job is and they don't know if they're doing it well or not. they're surprised when disciplinary action is taken against them. Um, an employee may be surprised by the company all of a sudden announcing layoffs or saying that they're not doing well or um, having a, if they're in a public company, having a shareholder meeting where earnings are reported and they had no idea that the company wasn't doing well. Those are all signs if you're an employee, that there's some toxicity going on in the company. From a leadership perspective, you start to see increased absenteeism. You start to see people either not knowing what their KPIs, key performance indicators are, or they're missing those. Um, You see a reduced productivity or engagement where people used to come with you for with ideas for how to make things safer, how to make things more profitable, or how to make um, the work environment better, people just aren't giving you suggestions anymore. And, and from a leadership perspective, that should be alarming that you're not getting feedback. Um, you'll start to see good employees' productivity dropping off. And there was a survey that I did a couple of years ago Um, about workplace culture, specifically in aviation. And one of the most surprising findings that we had was that only 16% of people who were surveyed believed that poor performance was adequately addressed in their workplace. And making that even 
more profound is the fact that half of our respondents were managers or executives and half of them were employees. So even the people who have the ability to address the poor performance were saying poor performance isn't being addressed. At the same time, McKinsey published a study that said that more people leave jobs because of poor performance of other employees than any other reason. It's because they're frustrated that people aren't held to a high standard. And so that can indicate a toxic culture. Good people are leaving. Your mediocre people are just plugging along, doing the lowest amount of work that they possibly can. So I think that from an employee standpoint, if you're in a toxic culture and you ask for things to change and they don't change, it's time to look for a different department to work in or, or a different job. If you're a leader and you have a toxic culture, you can recognize that and turn things around. Yeah, that that is a great characterization of what a toxic workplace culture is. And it's, it takes me back to some experiences that I've had over, over the years that I've been in the workforce in general, where even though you may not be directly impacted, you know, your performance is great, you're doing well but you're in a toxic culture, it still has a toll on, on you somehow. It does. And what I'll say is that not only can it hold you back from advancing in your career to have mediocre people around you or to be in a toxic culture, but there's toll. And we're beginning to see more and more studies about this, about the health of the workers and the organizational health. Mm -hmm. So you begin to see, and I experienced this in the last couple of years, and I, I've talked to a couple of other people um, in business aviation who've, who've had very high stress jobs through the pandemic. You can go into adrenal failure um, with working in a toxic or very high stress workplace. And that means that your adrenal glands are not producing enough cortisol, which is your fight, uh, fight or flight or your um, stress hormone that gives you that extra boost to get the work done, your body will just completely stop producing cortisol, which then makes it difficult to sleep. It makes it difficult to build muscle. It makes it difficult to build testosterone and have estrogen. So you begin to see infertility. You begin to see um, low sex drive, you begin to see a number of other physical drains on your body from being in a toxic workplace. You take that stress home, it begins to affect your relationships. You, you take that stress um, into even your next job and it affects the way that you interact with other people. So there can be some long-term mm -hmm. effects of being in a toxic workplace for each employee. And yeah. then you also have the organizational health as you, as your organization becomes less profitable and less innovative, um, you attract fewer stellar employees and you keep fewer stellar employees. And sure enough, after a time, you begin to fall behind your competitors because they're doing things to make themselves healthy. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you touched on both elements. But, and also, it doesn't take much from a leadership perspective to create that toxic workplace culture. 
because uh, I remember there was uh, an environment that I was in where the leader was there, but not present. And just by that simple action created a toxic workplace culture. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. I was listening to another podcast the other day and I just, this thought just keeps coming up again and again and again for me over the last couple of days, I've really been mulling it over and that's that a culture and culture is very much created by the leaders of an organization. It's, it's set by leaders. Um, and then it's reinforced by other people, but a culture is a combination of what you create and what you allow. Mm. And so you may think that you've created a great culture. You may have set amazing core values and you may have sales retreats or executive retreats and talk about your core values and how wonderful they are. But if you also allow your top salesperson or your manager who's been there the longest to bully people, your culture is a combination of what you create and what you allow. So if you allow bullying to go on in your organization at any level, you are creating a toxic culture because of what you allow. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes where that stems from is the leader is fearful of, um, dealing with those difficult people on their team um, because it might end up maybe terminating their top performer or it they may end up fear in fear that if I do something about, let's say, bullying and this person is a good salesperson and really like my top performer, that fear that that leader is going to lose that person oftentimes prohibits that even being addressed and letting that toxic culture get even worse. Absolutely. I will say this. It is really, really hard to fire good performers. <laughs> but what I've found over the years when I've done it is that other people rise to make up the gap. And so if if I can eliminate some toxicity in my workplace, then everyone else has a chance to become more healthy. And if I explain like, hey, this, this person is now gone because of this, I would love to hear how we can make things better for all of you and how we can pick up the slack mm. in order to, to meet um, our sales goals or our revenue numbers that we have to meet in in every situation where I've had to do it, or I've coached someone else who's been in a similar situation every single time, their sales numbers are better for having gotten rid of the bad apple. It is very hard to do. Um, and I always believe that no one should be surprised when they get fired, right? So I think that there's a time and a place to address this behavior and salespeople. I, I don't want to pick on salespeople today, but I'm going to pick on salespeople today. So salespeople are pretty easy to set metrics for. And so you can set metrics for sales targets, but you can also set metrics for mentoring other people in the company. You can set metrics for continuing education. You can set metrics for, um, interacting in positive ways with people and 
if you tell people like, hey, I'd love to see a stronger exhibition of this value of integrity or this value of um, being kind to our coworkers, I'd love to see how you're growing in that area. Can you set some goals for yourself um, to embrace one of these values a little bit more? If they outright refuse, you're probably never going to be able to teach them to behave in a way that's becoming of your company. And so it, really what's important is having salespeople or other employees who are also coachable. Are mm. people willing to receive feedback? Are you as a leader willing to receive feedback? Are you willing to say, yeah, I was really out of line when I behaved in that way, or I had an awful day. I'm so sorry you took that the wrong way. How can I, how can you and I work together to resolve this? Having that humility and that, um, I call it teachability, um, are really powerful traits to have as a leader. Mm-hmm. And they're traits that you can develop as a leader. You may not have them naturally, but you can train yourself to be teachable. You wouldn't have gotten to where you are if someone hadn't taught you at some point in the past. Mm-hmm. And I think workplace culture definitely starts with the leader um, and to create that healthy environment. And then it eventually translates to higher employee engagement. And then you see that that turnover drop off. So what would you recommend for leaders and organizations? Um, how can they create that? that? What can they do to create that healthy work environment? Or And also, how can they identify uh, my workplace might be getting a bit rocky or, you know, a, a little bit toxic. I always think the best place to start is with curiosity. Um, and I think it's curiosity about yourself as a leader and what you could be doing better. It's curiosity about what other people in your organization are seeing and it's curiosity about what other companies are doing that's working. Um, and so there are a few things that you can do with that. One is uh, get a business coach, have that business coach ask you some hard questions about what you're doing in your organization that might be causing some things that you don't want to see. Um, a business coach is a great person who can offer you some outside perspective or cause you to be a little bit more reflective than you normally would be. So that's how you have curiosity about yourself. Um, You can also ask friends or colleagues in the industry or your spouse, if you have one, Um, your kids sometimes will have great insight about you. Um, But what am I doing that could be, that could be improved? So curiosity and really an honest curiosity, not a, I'm doing everything right. I just want somebody to come in and pat my back kind of. Like, I just want someone to stroke my ego kind of thing. Not that, not that curiosity, but what could I be doing that would create a different result? Um, Asking your teammates, um, your coworkers, there are ways to be curious about this and there are ways that, that create animosity. So if you create a survey or ask for participation in a survey, make sure that if you say that it's anonymous, that it's truly anonymous. 
And there are some companies out there that can do a survey for you and come back with like, hey, there's some, there's some things that you might want to be watching for that we're seeing an indication of in your company. There might be some unconscious bias going on. There might be some bullying going on. Um, but if you say, oh, you know, tell me your department and tell me your location and tell me your position and then answer these anonymous questions. I had a coaching client that I was working with recently and they're like, I was like, it seems like you guys really like your jobs. And they're like, oh, we lied through our teeth on those surveys. <laughs> they're like, there would be so much retribution and retaliation if we told the truth about how we feel on those surveys. We're not telling the truth. Our boss is always going to know that it's us and then he'll take it out on us. So if you're a boss that really wants to know, come up with a way that your employees can feel safe sharing what's really going on. And then the most important piece of that is that you need to tell them that you heard them and what action you're going to take on that and then do it. So I heard you say that unconscious bias is a problem here. I heard you say that it's affecting our safety um, as, a, as an operating company. Here's the action that I'm going to take. And here's the timeline in which I'm going to take it. Here's, here's my path to accountability on this. So it's being curious, but then it's also putting actions into practice and giving yourself a deadline for those. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with you. It, it starts with curiosity and that curiosity helps gain those different perspectives uh, because you might be siloed in your own mindset. And once you start engaging your team members and even other leaders on your team um, and you start being curious and but not just curious, but taking action is key because I've seen it so many times where leaders say they're going to do something and they never do it, or they just say, we can't do it. And they don't give an explanation. Um, yeah. And that's detrimental. That's worse yeah. than, that's worse than not asking the question in the first place. So mm -hmm. if you're going to ask, make sure that you're going to close the loop on that, whether you take action or you can't change what they asked for. I mean, you know, not everyone can have Fruit Loops in their lobby, but or in their break room. But you know, have have an answer for that. Um, maintain your integrity as a leader, and mm -hmm. make sure your people know that you hear them. Yep, and that curiosity also allows you. And I've seen this with one one of my past leaders. Is I really look up to him for this. Is he he was always curious what was going on in every aspect of, of the business during a daily basis. So it wasn't him sitting down in the office all day, you know, sipping his coffee. It was, he didn't even start his day in the office. He started with bringing out his cup of coffee in the employee common area and going around to different aspects of the business and making sure that he knew what was going on. Even my leader today, that's what he does. He goes on to his different businesses to make sure he has those touch points in every business that he operates in. And that's because it starts from curiosity. What's going on? What does my team need today? And that's how you really start creating that healthy environment. 
Yeah. Some of the best solutions that I've heard of with problems going on in the industry, the solutions come from someone who's on the floor, from mm -hmm. someone who's putting things back together. I love um, someone that I've admired. Um, he's uh, passed away now, but Sergio Marchioni um, was the chairman of Fiat Chrysler Automobiles. And he put his desk, instead of on the corner office on the top floor, he put his desk on the engineering floor and sat with the engineers. So he heard what was going on in engineering all of the time and was able to improve the base product for that automobile, all those automobile brands from Fiat to Ferrari based on his involvement at that level with the people who offered the genius that, that made everything roll. And I think that that's something that as leaders, we need to continually be doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think listening is an important trait that, um, is often, I guess, from my experience, not seen because I think the first aspect, I think we think as leaders, oh, I should be the first to speak and last to speak or, uh, and oftentimes, sometimes as leaders, you just need to go stand in a room and just not say anything and just listen. I think that's really good. One other um, thing that I've been hearing a lot lately is about the importance of questions. Mm. And the way that you ask the question, the way that you phrase the question is incredibly important. And I think that we can learn so much from asking questions that we don't learn from giving answers. Yeah. And I think that with the way that technology is expanding and the amount of things that we can know is growing at an exponential rate, the more we ask questions, the more we're pulling in a collaborative or collective approach and seeing different facets of something which creates a better overall solution when we're trying to come up with something. So gone are the days where the boss has the answers. And here are the days when the best boss is the one who can ask the best questions. And mm -hmm. as you said, listen for the answers. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I want to touch on is, you know, there's probably leaders or executive leaders on this listening to this podcast and saying, you know what, I've been struggling. I feel stuck as a leader. I'm not sure what I need to do. Um, and we've, we've had individuals in, in our past podcast interviews that have seen great value in there are coaches or they've, they've been coached. Uh, they've had a business coach and seen great value. Um, how, what would you recommend kind of the first step into why should someone look into a business coach to, to better themselves and potentially their business? Well, I think about professional athletes and I, I have a couple of those as friends. And when I, one of my, um, athletes that, or one of my friends that was in the national hockey league had a defense coach, cause he was a defenseman. He had a strength and conditioning coach. He had a nutritional coach. He had a financial coach because he was making a lot of money. Um, and he had a life coach because he wanted his marriage to flourish even when he was on the road. So if you're going to be at the top of your game, having someone who can see the blind spots, who can help you get through um, to the next level, who understands your strengths and weaknesses 
and helps you to take advantage of opportunities and reduce threats is a fantastic person to have on your team. Um, I had a conversation with, with Tim Tebow a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about now that he's out of professional sports, we're like, Tim, who are you getting coaching from? And Tim has a spiritual coach. So he has a guy who travels with him, who is his Bible coach. Well, mm. that's very important to him. So if there's an area in your life where you want to grow and you want to be the best, a coach can get you there faster. Mm. That's so awesome. Um, you know, as we kind of wrap up this discussion, um, you know, this audience is middle managers that are aspiring to go into executive leadership leaders and also executive leaders. What are some last words of encouragement you would want to provide um, surrounding our, our discussion today? I think the importance of having a community of people who believe the same way that you do, who have the same values or hold the same standards that you do, cannot be understated. Um, it is incredibly important to surround yourself with people who challenge you and who encourage you. Mm. And I think if you can find that in your business, you're very blessed. Um, if you can find that in the industry, I think that, that you accomplish much greater things. And so I think having a, some people call it a tribe, some people call it a community, but surrounding yourself with people who, some of whom think differently than you do, but have the same values that you do is incredibly important. Um, so if you don't have that, go out and find it, create it, um, curate a community like that, join a community like that, that's already in existence. But I think the power of community is something that I would say is incredibly important. So curiosity and community both will help you be a better leader. Awesome. Well, that's awesome, Renee. Um, so with people probably are just blown away by this discussion and want to learn more about you and connect with you in the work that you're doing. Um, so how can people connect with you? Well, the best place to see what I'm doing is by visiting theaviationcollective.com. Um, that's my website um, for my coaching and consulting business. And then also um, you can follow me on social media at Renee Bangelsdorf on LinkedIn or Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I think my team posts some stuff on Twitter, but I don't look at it very often. I don't even think it's called Twitter anymore. I think it's X now. X, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, LinkedIn and, and Instagram are the best place to, to see what's really going on in my life um, and in my business. Thanks uh, so much, Cameron, for asking. That's very generous of you. Well, awesome. For those listening, uh, we'll drop the link to uh, Renee's website in the podcast description so you can find it there and you can connect with her and the work that she is doing. Um, Renee, before we go, I do have some lightning round questions uh, just so our audience can get to know you a bit more before we go. Craig Groeschel style. I love it. <laughs> yep, exactly. That's where we picked it up from. <laughs> um, what What is it? How do you consume content to better yourself? And what are some recommended reads that you have? 
I consume a lot of books and I listen to podcasts. So um, the book that has made the biggest impact in my life recently is one called Living Fearless. It's by Jamie Winship. Um, And I like it because it helps me figure out my identity. And I think that can be a big, I think figuring out who we are young um, is important, but I think as we go through transformations in our life or through different seasons in our life, who we really are at our core changes. Um, what we stand for may change because of our life experiences. And mm-hmm. so that book by Jamie Winship was really um, helpful for me, Living Fearless. Um, and then I love um, listening to podcasts. I've really been into Craig Rochelle and Erwin uh, McManus lately. Uh, yeah. They are both pastors who have incredible business acumen. And so I, those are two of my favorites. Yeah. Craig Rochelle and Erwin McManus are my top favorite, especially when you're talking about leadership. Both of them are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one, one more question. Um, what is one bucket list item that you would like to pursue? Oh, you know, I had a bucket list item to go on a hot air balloon and I did that and I was a little bit disappointed. Um, so I would have to say maybe taking that up a notch and flying in a hot air balloon during the balloon festival in Albuquerque. I think that would be pretty cool. Oh, nice. Nice. And then final question, dead or alive, who would you like to have lunch with? Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, I think, I think being able to hear his why, mm-hmm. um, his motivation, and maybe some of his disciplines um, that enabled him to communicate and rally and influence people the way that he did in such a gracious manner, despite his personal flaws would be an incredibly um, inspirational conversation for me to have. Awesome. Well, Renee, thank you so much uh, for for being on the podcast. Um, Really enjoyed this conversation. And uh, it's been awesome getting to know you more and uh, learn learn more about um, your, your insights on leadership. Thanks, Cameron. I appreciate you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode with Renee and hope this added value to your leadership wherever you are at. If you want to connect with Renee and also check out some of her books, a link to her website is in the podcast description on whichever platform you're listening on. And you can connect with Renee also on her social media platforms. So thank you for your support. And also, if you also can uh, follow us on social media, you can go to our website, tcadvisorygroup.com, and you can follow us on social media and also find out more about TC Advisor Group, which is our leadership training and coaching organization where we provide support at to all levels of the organizations, whether it's an organization, team, or you as an individual. Um, also, if um, it would be great if you can 
give us a review on whichever platform that you're listening on to help get the message of this podcast spread to a wider audience. Well, we thank you so much again for tuning in to the Executive Leadership Podcast, and uh, we will catch you on the next episode. And don't forget to subscribe so that you will receive a notification when the next podcast goes live. Thank you.